This morning we speak on conviction from Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 to 30. The year is uh, 2026. The socio-political tide has definitely turned in Australia. The new Prime Minister has wasted no time in implementing his reforms into law. One of the sweeping changes has been in the area of faith and religion. What is astounding is that this party went into the election and campaigned with this political platform and won in a landslide. It seems it seems that the population of Australia was somehow convinced that the great majority of conflicts and wars and disagreements around the world has been caused by religion and in particular religious fanaticism and more specifically Christianity. As a result, the government has implemented a new type of religion. It is one that incorporates elements of all the major faiths into one state religion. All churches, mosques, synagogues and temples have now come under the direct control of a new ministry within the government. Anyone who does not comply will be prosecuted and their property confiscated. In fact, in order to expedite proceedings and not clog up the court system, the government has set up a separate judiciary to deal with these matters quickly. The Christians are the ones who have been affected the most. A lot of the churches closed down, property sold in order to defend some of the Christians and pastors and others in prosecutions. We are seeing thousands of Christians prosecuted. It is sad to see that a country like Australia that was once renowned for its democratic principles and freedoms of, of religion has now come to this, but this is the political reality in Australia in the year 2026. How far-fetched do you think this is? How far-fetched? We just had our sister describe to us the situation in Nigeria. Rather than being science fiction, the last few years we have already witnessed, seen changes in the whole realm of religious freedom in Australia. History shows that the aim of the state is to control the population and what better way than to centralise the worship. Whether it is Pharaoh, whether it is Nebuchadnezzar, whether it is Caesar, the thing that they all have in common is that they all claim divinity. Nothing new under the sun. Why do you think they put the Christians, the early Christians, during the Roman times, why do you think they threw them into, into prison and into the Colosseums and had them burned and eaten by lions? Why? It's because they would not bow to Caesar. Now, 
nothing new under the sun. If that eventuated here, will we be prepared? Will we still believe? Will we still go to church? And as far-fetched as it seems, this is the unfortunate reality for millions and millions of Christians around the world today. Let's go back in time from 2026. We go back to 586 BC, more than two and a half thousand years ago. After decades of refusal to listen to the warnings of God through his prophets, after the, the pleading, the tears, the crying, the words of one prophet after another, God sent his servants and he told them, he told his people, Israel, we're not talking people outside of Israel, we're talking about Israel, God's chosen people, to repent, to come back to him. They didn't. They were punished. God allowed the Babylonian Empire to roll through town. Jerusalem was conquered. The temple, the great temple of Solomon was levelled. The treasures of the temple, the royal palace were pillaged and the brightest and the best of the Jewish population, the young men and women carted off to Babylon. Among those exiles were four Jewish boys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. That was their, Jew, that, their Jewish names. They were renamed by the king to Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These four faithful Jewish men found themselves in a hostile pagan land. The culture, the language, the dress, the entertainment, the diet and the religion of Babylon was very, very foreign to them. These four young boys, young men, were in a dilemma. They could either abandon their faith in the one true God or adopt the culture of Babylon and, and blend into what everybody else is doing. That way they could have avoided trouble. Nobody would bat an eyelid. Or they could resist and pay the price, the ultimate price. So this morning I want to look at the subject of conviction. We are going to look at these young men and see how their convictions about their faith in God affected, impacted the way they lived in a hostile culture. Their story is here in the Bible for us so that we can learn from their example. Many of our brothers and sisters undergoing tremendous persecution around the world, even as I speak, get tremendous encouragements from passages and stories such as this. This is not just something colouring in Sunday school. This is actual life story. It's tremendously encouraging and uplifting for many of our brothers and sisters around the world. We think that we're okay here in Australia, but before our eyes, the culture around us is changing. 
we too will need to be men and women of courage, of deep conviction, if we are to have an impact in our world. But before we proceed, I need to just mention one thing. That it is, in fact, entirely possible to have the wrong conviction. I'm, I'm sort of a bit over listening of stories of people that men and women with the courage of their convictions. Nero, Caligula, Attila the Hun, Hitler, they all had the courage of their convictions. You can go to Pol Pot and so many others like him. But no one had the courage to examine their convictions or to, to change them even when they things had gone too far to change, to repent, which is the truest test of character, to be willing to say that you were wrong. So what is a conviction? According to the dictionary, a conviction is an unshakable belief in something. A Christian conviction is a belief that you will not change. This is something that you hold close to your heart. Conviction is being convinced of what we believe and why we believe it, coupled with a determination to live or die by that belief. A conviction is not something that you discover, it is something that you purpose in your heart. Convictions on the inside will always have an impact on the outside in your lifestyle, in your choices, in the decisions you make on how you live. It is not just something internal. It will show on the outside. Conviction makes you do things that aren't always popular. and That is why we speak of the courage of someone's conviction. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26, 29, verse 9, he was sharing about his testimony, something that he does quite a lot in the book of Acts. And this is what the Apostle Paul said, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he had a conviction. That's why he was going around killing Christians. And then on the road to Damascus, things change. And there was, uh, the process started of, of re, reconfiguring his mindset. And God was doing that so powerfully through the Apostle Paul and then in the churches that he founded. Jesus intervened. He became a new man. So I want us to look at four things that those with godly convictions, these are characteristics. This is how it looks like. Here are some characteristics of people with convictions. They are resolved. We get this from chapter 1 verse 8. They are resolved. The great thing about these guys is that they were asked to compromise a deep-held belief but they had already made up their minds 
beforehand that they weren't going to. They had refused to get all caught up in anything that would cause them to walk away from their deepest core values and to honour God. These boys were from the upper crust, the silver spooners within Jerusalem society. I don't know what their life was like before Babylon, but they came from a privileged position. Did they like to go out at night and party hard? Did they have Christian families who kept them close to God? Society around it was falling apart, so it's very possible that that they themselves, their convictions were 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 somehow you know blended into what the rest of society. I'm only assuming. I'm only assuming what Jerusalem was like. But there is a reason why these guys stood firm by the time their convictions were challenged, because they had resolved in their heart. They came to the point when they lost their parents, when they lost their relatives, when everybody around them died, that moment that says, wow, this is serious. This is actually really bad. And in their grief, their lives changed. Some of you have lost family and friends in refugee camps. In, in not necessarily in refugee camps, but in, the, in, in genocides. And, and, and your faith has been tested or it brought you to the point after you've lost that, you, it brought came to the point where you say, this is serious, this is where life cuts to the core, There's, this is no mucking around, this is no party time, this is a time for either you're going to win, you're going to lose, it's a time for real conviction rather than just muddying the waters and let's just go with the flow. These guys change. started when they were challenged to violate the dietary laws and eat forbidden fruit from the king's table. They respectfully and tactfully refused, so we read, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. You see, soldiers in an army have many issues sorted out during training during their drills. It takes a long time. A lot of money is spent by governments in trying to get the right people for the right jobs because in the midst of the heat of the battle, it is the wrong time to determine your convictions, what you are prepared to do. You must settle them beforehand. Young people, you're at a party and someone offers you a pill or a powder that will help you enjoy, relax a little and enjoy yourself a little more. That is the worst possible time to come up with a decision whether you will or you won't. 
You should have determined this beforehand. Husband, beautiful lady makes you an offer too good to refuse. It could be at work, it could be at a party, it could be anywhere. That is the worst possible time to decide how far you can go, you can push the boundary without being unfaithful to your wife. You have to determine this way before. Before the time of testing, before the moment of crisis, before the heat and the pressure to conform is applied. Somewhere along the the, the journey, and the journey from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon would have taken weeks and weeks to get there. Somewhere in in that moment, God put something in in, in these boys, put his spirit in them, and he he strengthened them. There was a a process, there was a Damascus Road experience where they said, where you're going is going to be tough, it's going to be real. Whatever happened back home, it's over. I'm going to put you in a situation where your faith is going to be tested even more. You're going to be up for it. In the words of Scripture, gird the loins of your heart. Get ready for battle, for action. Prepare. These guys made a decision before the crisis ever came up. They decided, we are going to live a God-honoring life. Fellow Christians, you must settle these things in your minds right now. There are certain things you may not do and there are certain things you may not have in this life. You will not be unfaithful to your spouse. You have to determine that. No excuses. You will, not, you will not cheat your employees or your customers if you're a business person. You will be honest in your dealings. I don't care how your finances are going back home. I don't care if you owe money to the bank or whatever circumstances. You will not steal. You have to determine that way, way before. A conviction means knowing that... A, that that certain things are right and certain things are wrong, irrespective of the circumstances. But what I see today is what we call situational ethics. This whole situational ethics is actually, I'm seeing more and more in Christians, that the ethic of love covers everything. The guy came, Fletcher came up with this. So, something is right or wrong depending on the circumstance. It's not black and white. Really? Really? 
some things are right, some things are wrong. Always wrong, always right, regardless of the circumstances. What else do we learn about these guys? They were expectant. They were expectant. These four guys were already anticipating. They were already preparing opposition as they were heading towards Babylon. They weren't paranoid as they were already aware of the consequences. The decree was very clear. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. When the time came, everybody bowed down and worshipped the image, but not these boys. The test came, the first test in chapter 1, about the, the diet and the culture. That one, that test, they passed with flying colours. But do you think after you pass that test that life is hunky-dory? We, we arrived at uh, the, top, the peak of Mount Everest and now it's, everything's fantastic. No, there's another test and another test and another test. These boys were already by chapter 3, they were already working for the government. They were part of the bureaucracy. All eyes were on them. And in fact, part of the reason why the law was changed, centralised worship, bowing down to an image, was because they actually wanted to get rid of these annoying boys and others like him who were resisting, getting them to comply but comply that did not. And it raises a very important question. Why didn't they just take the easy way out? And come on, guys, we've got responsibilities here. But our lives are more important. Let's just go with it, okay? Let's just bow before the image. In our hearts, we're still going to be believers. But let's just, let's just do it anyway, okay, so that we don't yeah, cause a bit of a kerfuffle here. In our hearts, we know that this bowing down doesn't mean anything, okay? Just do it. Gee, well, I heard that before. Just do it. God knows your heart, Right? Probably... Remember the story of the Columbine High School. There were two gunmen went through the high school and killed 15 students and injured 24. Among the victims was a girl who, with a gun pointed at her, was asked, did she believe in God? And she said, yes. Bang. Stories that Rachel was telling us, this is happening 
it wasn't just Columbine. Columbine is the closest thing that in Western civilization we can to relate to suffering and being challenged for the faith. But this is in Africa, in China, and many other places. This is happening every day. People of conviction are not surprised when the heat gets turned up sevenfold in the oven. The heat in our culture is is being wound up. In our anything-goes society, it seems that tolerance somehow has become one of the highest virtues in order to get along. Tolerance. Is, tolerance is the opposite of conviction. So if you happen to adhere to a, a deeply rooted Christian conviction, then you are going to run into trouble. It was G.K. Chesterton who said, tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. Pretty harsh, isn't it? The Apostle Peter, writing to a church that was churches, people dispersed in the diaspora who who were undergoing persecution. The heat was turned on. He writes this, 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, what did he say? Don't be surprised at the trouble that comes to you. Why is this happening to me? Why? That's not fair. Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the trouble that comes to you. Don't think that it is something strange. Just make sure you're suffering for doing right. It's not because you're a bad boss or you're a bad employee or you're unfaithful. Make sure you, do, you, you are suffering because you're suffering for your convictions for being faithful to God. Expect it. What else can we learn about conviction from these guys? They were self-controlled from verses 16 to 17 of chapter 3. Eventually, of course, their civil disobedience was notified to the king who summoned them to the palace. They responded, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. In other words, they pleaded guilty, Your Honour. We are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. These guys were not disrespectful. They didn't become abusive. They kept their cool. They respected the law. They called him king, your majesty, twice. They stood their ground. Their conviction was grounded on a higher king, you see, in God. And it didn't depend. It didn't depend on what the outcome was. So even if God did not deliver them, they were still going to believe. Now, Satan knows which buttons to push in our lives. He's always prodding, trying this and trying that, where he knows he's, he's going to get an immediate response.
I was just going to share an illustration, but I think I, I better not. Anyway, um, at other times it will be before his followers. How did it turn out when your buttons were pushed? Have you ever behaved like an ugly Christian? I'm not talking about your physical appearance, okay? But an ugly Christian. That you came out of them, oh, you know. If you know the truth, be self-controlled. Don't get ugly. And here is is a beautiful verse to remind us of how we are to live. Colossians 4, 5. Live wisely among those who are not Christians and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and effective so that you will have the right answer for everyone. Clear verse, isn't it? Today, like yesterday and like tomorrow, what mostly rattles my cage are not the non-Christians, not the pagans. What rattles my cage are the so-called Christians who should know better. The stuff they come up with on social media. It's hard to remain cool because my immediate response is to respond in kind when your deep convictions are challenged. But these guys kept their cool. They stood courageously for the truth. They did so respectfully. The king responds like a lot of people we know. (laughs) He goes into a rage and their coolness actually sends them into (laughs) a blazing furnace, you know, like just... He gets some, some of his strongest soldiers, he says, to tie them up and throw them in. To, and that's what the world tries to do. Tie us up, paralyze us, and to silence the voice of conscience. Because we are the voice of God in this generation. We are the salt and light. So what does the world try and do? To silence us. The furnace was so hot that even the executioners are burnt. These are, that's sort of the story of what speaks in Proverbs about they dug a hole and they fell into it type of thing. You know? But I also like the fact that they, number four, fourthly, they trusted God. Chapter 3, verse 18. At times, Satan will push us to doubt God's character, which is exactly what uh, God did with Adam and Eve in the garden. By, did God really say, God is holding out on you? So Satan will push us to do that, which is what Satan did to Jesus in the wilderness. But people of God with conviction trust that God will prevail in the end. In verse 17, they say that God will deliver them. 
In contrast to the, the king's statement that no God will deliver them from the king's hand and they said, no, our God will deliver us. So these guys say that God would save them but then in verse 18 there is a disclaimer that even if he doesn't, your majesty can be sure that we will never serve your gods or worship your statue. God will deliver us. God will heal us. God will free us. God is good. We will not doubt God, his providence, his blessings. We will not doubt his character. But even if he doesn't deliver us from our point of view, we will still believe. How did Job say? Job said in chapter 7 verse 6, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Though he slay me. In other words, no matter what our circumstances, we're going to trust him. Even if he chooses not to deliver us from the fire, he knows what is best for us. Even if he doesn't heal us from that disease, either us or our loved ones, his way is best. My God, the only God, is able to deliver me and even if he doesn't, he's got a better plan because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. That's the kind of faith that brings contentment and confidence, whatever the circumstance. And that's a big lesson for us, isn't it? We cannot have such a, a fickle faith that if God does not grant us our wish, that we're going to be like those rotten little kids in the supermarket that just chuck a tantrum. Huh? I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm going to hate you. hate you. You're a bad father. Aren't we like that sometimes? Hit the dummy. I've had those conversations and I'm just there listening. Can you see yourself talking like now? What part of the Bible do you want me to open? Do you even read the Bible? Through the pain and the suffering, learn patience, learn faith, humility. That's what it's in the scriptures. You start complaining to me, I'll listen to you, I'll, I'll borrow, you know, Duncan's violin, I'll stop playing, keep going. Yeah. should carry a portable violin every time I hear your stories, you know? You think life is tough. Goodness gracious. Sure, we pray for healing, for deliverance. But we need, above all things, we need to pray that His will will be done in our lives. That His name will be magnified, glorified in us through us. So let's bring it all together in conclusion. Two major areas that we need to sort out our convictions. We need something to believe and we need somewhere to belong. Our major areas that we need to have a firm conviction have to do with believing and have to do with belonging. 
We need something for our head and we need something for our heart. We have this vertical dimension, if you like, and we have this horizontal dimension. Something to believe. One of the most important things you need to be convicted of, stop doubting the Word of God and believe the Bible to be the Word of God. Billy Graham constantly in his message will say, the Bible says. We were there on Saturday and Sunday, constantly Franklin, his son, his son, his son. Thank you, the Bible says. The Bible is the Word of God. We need to be convinced and convicted that the Bible is the Word of God, not just something that contains the Word of God, but it is the Word of God. Not just the good book of nice stories and religious writing, but the very words of God. Something else to believe is that Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus Christ the only way. We need to hold this conviction that Jesus is in the, the only way of salvation. Without him, people are going to eternity in hell. It's not very popular, but it's very true. Something to believe. Now, somewhere to belong. We are created by God for relationships. These boys stood convicted because, I think, in large measure, because they stood together. If they had to stand separately, it would have been a lot harder. And one of my biggest heartaches is seeing how, how flippantly people treat their spiritual family. Ah, it doesn't matter if we go to church. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we'll go next week. We'll go to another one and another one. We'll go shopping here, find there and everything. It just goes on and on. Goodness gracious. Be committed. This is your family. It's, it's, it's the part of this thinking that you can separate what you believe from where you belong. The two go together. In China, in Nigeria, in so many other places, many Christians are risking their lives, spending years in jail or risking the lives of their family and friends for the privilege of going to church. Why do they drag themselves out of, out of home to risk life and limb to be together with other Christians. Why? Why don't they just stay home? Why risk it? Because more than just believing, which they can do anywhere, anytime, in the comfort of their own home, they have this deep conviction that they need to be with other believers at a place where they belong. Not about numbers. In fact, I think numbers hides, we can hide actually in numbers many times. It's two or three, that's all we need, is other believers gathered together. We need to have this unshakable conviction because let me, I don't have to be a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. Things are going to get tough in Australia. I can promise you that. For Bible-believing Christians, it's going to get tough, very tough. 